the Trilogy Podcast with Vin and Scott. Three movies, two men, one podcast. You just don't get it, do you? Yeah, baby. Mm-hmm. Groovy. Welcome to the Trilogy Podcast. Groovy. <laughs> it's the only podcast in the universe devoted strictly to trilogies. No reboots, no straight-to-video, trivia, facts, debate, and more. To hell with the movie if they made four. To hell with the movie if they made four, How Scott. we doing today, Ben? I'm feeling great. How are you today? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm excited. Yeah, I am too. I mean, it's not that I'm, I'm depressed when we do this. It's not that I'm not no. usually excited when we do this, but I'm specifically, specifically excited today because of this film trilogy. Yeah, me too. Uh, you were telling me before that you think it's completely different than anything I we've think, done in the past. Uh, yes, I think this is completely different from anything we've done so? so far. Uh, it's a because it's a straight comedy trilogy. It's a parody. It's a mm-hmm. spoof. It's a it's. You know, um, we, we haven't done that yet. We it's, haven't done something that really spoofs the a whole genre. point is to make you laugh, and at the end of the day, that's there, there really is nothing poignant about it. It's strictly t- to make us laugh, right? Yes, did we and even mention the film yet? We have I, not, I don't think we've even said what it is yet. Yeah, you do the honors, buddy boy. It's Austin Powers, the Austin Powers, Powers trilogy. trilogy. Before we do anything else, we should probably find out from our good friend Trilogy Bot. Um, exactly what kind of trilogy this is. You know, we're still breaking down each of the trilogies yeah. that we analyze by category. So this is, it's going to be a new category. Yet again, we haven't overlapped yep. yet. Still doing new categories with each new trilogy. Yes. So, uh, Mr. Trilogy Bot, I think... Dear God, I hate both of you so damn much. Austin Powers is an army of fun trilogy. One comedic character whose adventures occur over the course of three films... Army of Fun, fun. this time. You I see like what we did? That. We took Army of One, okay, uh-huh. which is one guy, his adventures, right. action, lots of violence, killings, mm-hmm. and, and turned that word one into fun. 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 one. Right. Fun. Because yeah. this is usually a comedic guy, and we like him because he's funny, and we want to see what crazy funny thing he's going to do next. Right, and um, you'll remember our army of one that we did earlier was Taken. Taken. was a, Which is a great example of an army of one. One guy kicking ass, but this time it's one guy getting laughs, you know? Yep, and it, what's, what's interesting, though, is that he's playing multiple characters to get those laughs. Right. All right? Right. And, of course, we're talking about um, Austin Powers, and the first movie came out in 1997. That's International Man of Mystery. Mm-hmm. It was followed up two years later by The Spy Who Shagged Me in 1999. Mm. And then um, Gold Member in 2002. And again, these movies, you said before, you touched on it before, um, are basically a parody of the Bond films, but a spoof mm-hmm. of the spy genre in general, and a spoof of the like 60s spy yeah. film. Which and, I don't... and more specifically, I mean, he even mentions at the beginning of the second film, uh, in like Flint, and there was another one, Our Man Flint, which okay. uh, uh, Corbin Burnson, I mean, not Corbin Burnson, Corbin not Corbin Burnson. What is, oh god, I, mean, I, I forgot his name. Bernson, but no. No. You're talking about God damn it. What's your hurry? Why don't you just wait? It'll all fall right into your laps. You're talking about James Coburn, my friend. That's who you're James talking about. James Coburn, Thank yes, you. that's correct. Yes, correct. He was in uh, Our Man Flint Our Man Flint and In Like Flint, and he even says at the beginning of the second movie, In Like Flint, it's my favorite movie. Is that where the expression comes from? Uh n- I don't think so. 
I think that was just the sequel, like original. The first one, I think, is Our Man Flint. Yeah, well, I, you know, I've read that these are also some of the other. They mentioned Matt Helm when they talk about um, 60s movie characters. And this also yeah. sort of, you know, plays upon. Um, and again, I'm not familiar with this world. I, I'm not familiar with 60s films. I was born in 1976. Right. I don't know about this genre too much at all. What happened in the 60s? Right. But that's the um, nice thing about the movie. I mean, I'm a kid who didn't really know anything about the 60s when the first one came out in 97. Uh-huh. And I enjoyed the shit out of the movie because it was funny and silly and ridiculous. And anyway, when we talk about Austin Powers. It's Mike Myers all the way. Right. Right. They're his films. All right. We're just talking about sure. cast a little bit before we get into the, the bits and pieces. Mike Myers is the auteur of these films. Right. Uh, he created these characters. He plays throughout the course of the movie uh, two characters in the first movie, three characters in the second one, and, and four, four characters in the third one. Whoop de doo. What does it all mean, Basil? For a time, Mike Myers, because of these films, and of course because of the earlier success with Wayne's World, even before Shrek came out, yeah. was a monster comedic actor in Hollywood. He's one of the $20 million uh, actors, you know, when that was a big deal. What actors made $20 million per movie? Yeah. Okay, just flat rate. Um, and he kind of was given a free hand to do what he wanted with these films. Absolutely. And to, to success, created yeah. something original. So, um, I think he was great. Um, we also talk about in the, uh, as, far as the, as far as the characters go, the main characters that appear in all the movies, you have Michael York playing Basil. Basil Exposition. Yeah. My favorite character. Yeah, I don't know why you like him so much. Because he's literally, its he's his own joke. He's literally just telling you what's going on every time he enters the scene. Meanwhile, that guy probably, and I didn't really look this guy up in particular, but I guarantee you he studied like the Royal Shakespeare Company. His credentials are through the roof. Yeah. And this is the thing that people will remember him by, this yeah. movie. Which is funny and great. Hello, Austin. Yeah, in its own way. <laughs> That's not your mother, it's a man, baby! Yeah, Seth Green. And I was talking to Amy the other day about this. I said, you know, when Seth Green popped up in these films, you said to yourself, oh, what's Seth Green doing in these wacky films? He was yeah. famous for something else beforehand, but you know what? He really wasn't. No. Can't hardly wait. The other movie that was kind of big around this time that he was in came out after the first Austin Powers film. Maybe I had just seen Can't Hardly Wait before Austin Powers, and I was like, oh, what's Seth Green all of a sudden doing in this movie? Yeah. But, yeah, I feel like he, the, like I knew him for some other reason. He was something, I think he was in like Gleaming the Cube. Oh, he was. He was a kid yeah. actor. He, he was in a bunch of movies throughout the uh, the late 80s and the early 90s as a kid actor. Yeah. Um, it sort of kind of came up through the system, but nothing really that was huge until Can't Hardly Wait, until the Austin Powers films. And then, of course, since then, he's the brains behind. Robot Chicken. I haven't really seen that. Right. I think Seth Green does a great job, frankly, in all these movies. Um, yeah. And then... And he's got my namesake, so... What do you mean, namesake? He, he has my name. Scott! She's kind of funny as well. Um, that's uh, Mindy Sterling. She plays... What is it? Frau... Farbissina. Farbissina. Yeah. Okay. Um, she has the affair with Dr. Evil later. Yes. Um, Robert Wagner. Robert number... Wagner's number two. You know what Robert yeah. Wagner's famous for, Scott? Uh, no, tell me. He's famous for many things. Yes. But well, in my sure. world, he's famous for a television show in the late 70s and early 80s called Heart to Heart. Oh, Heart to Heart. Yeah. Here's a small clip from him in Heart to Heart. Don't you remember? I almost majored in archaeology with a minor in anthropology. Anthropology? Oh, yeah, that's the uh, study of man. As a member of the species, I have to tell you, you've been neglecting your studies lately. I don't know where I found that, Scott. I just had it handy. 
that's ridiculous okay, that you right. have that out. Um, so these are the main characters throughout all three movies. And right. then as the movies go on, new characters are added. So in the second movie, we meet Heather Graham. We meet Vern Troyer playing Mini-Me. Mini-Me. All right. And then by the third movie, Beyonce's popping in. Fred Savage is popping in as the uh, the mole guy. And uh, Rob Lowe in the second one is young number two. That's right. Rob Lowe in the second one is young number two. And in number three, you've got um, everyone's favorite Englishman popping in as... Michael Caine. My, Michael Caine. Michael I was supposed to protect you, but I haven't. <laughs> That's just always what I think of when I think of Michael Caine now. <laughs> just regretful. Sort of. But I haven't. <laughs> and these movies were produced by Demi Moore. Did you know that? Yeah, I always know. Did you know that? The first time I watched the movie, I'm like, Demi Moore? Like that Demi Moore? Yeah. Even as like a kid, I was like, I know who Demi Moore is. Is that That's the same like one? you see the credits for Pulp Fiction and you see that it's produced by Danny DeVito? What? Yeah, what? yeah. Who, what? You're like, wait a minute, okay. what? Uh, more power to him, I guess. I, I suppose that's what has allowed Demi to. Yeah. To stay at home and for so many years and kind of give up acting and with the young guy and she's doing mushrooms, getting addicted to him. <laughs> No, it was Whippets. It was a ridiculous <laughs> drug that no Whippets, like, come on. like 50 plus person should be doing. Like, yeah. yeah, it was Whippets. I think it was Whippets. That's, that can't be right. I, I'm telling That's you, I think ridiculous. it's right. If it's not Whippets, it's shrooms. It's a ridiculous drug. Something it's just dumb. like when you found out that um, Aaron Sorkin got picked up for shrooms. It's like, didn't you, aren't you writing a, the biggest television show? And some of the what? biggest like Oscar movies. And you're just rocking some shrooms? I don't know whether yeah. to... Punch in the face or pat you on the back, buddy. I just want to expand his mind a little <laughs> bit, you know? Um, so there, that's production. And the first movie, it did well. It, you know, it made $70, $80 million. And the other two were big monster hits. But right. it wasn't what we consider a blockbuster today. Of course, the standard has changed. Even in the 15, 17, 19 years since these movies have come out, yeah. the standard for a blockbuster has changed. Later on, of course, they entered into the our sort of pop cultural lexicon for quite a few years, and people still use the expressions of Austin Powers. I would say the most popular one still used from time to time is what is uh yeah, yeah baby. Say it again, Scott, to the people. Yeah, baby. It's a little creepy when you do it. Yeah. Stop yeah. doing it. Do I make you horny, baby? And the movie really can also be defined. They're also chock full of pop cultural references from the sixties. From the 70s, from the present, which would have been the 90s and the turn of the century. Right. Plenty of celebrities making cameos. This was a pop cultural sort of... It really culminates in the third movie with the amount of stars. Like, you know, you got Tom Cruise yeah. and Britney Spears showing up in the third movie. It's, it's you know, it's, yeah, it's it, really a sort of prestige piece by that point. Yeah. It's really the kind of thing that people want to just put their name on and be associated with. Right. Similar to people wanting to have anything to do with a Star Wars film. Right. Or, a, or, a, or a Harry Potter. Sure. Okay. The question really, though, Scott. Yes. What everybody's asking. Mm-hmm. Is do you have the plots for these movies? Oh, of course. The oh-so-critical plots to these films? Yes. I don't mean to diminish your job, but seriously, go ahead with the plot. Okay, here we go. Now, these are uh, very bare bones. Very... Uh, Basic uh, description of a movie, taking it down to the stripping it down. You didn't want to rock our psyche with too many details. No, 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 no. We just want to study as a way to look at the movie as a, a skeleton of the movie, if oh. you will. Oh, yeah, I get that. Yeah, so no specifics. 
So here we go. This is Austin Powers, the international man of mystery. 1967, a British spy chases a bald supervillain to his hideout, where the villain cryogenically freezes himself and shoots into space. The spy also freezes himself in case the villain returns. 1997, the villain returns and is holding the world ransom with nuclear weapons. The spy is thawed out and finds things are very different from when he left. <laughs> with the help of a female British intelligence agent, the spy is able to navigate the 90s and foil the villain's plan. And then the spy and the female agent are married. Oh, how convenient. Yes. Free, I like how people are frozen. Yeah, like just you know, just jump in the fridge real quick, and uh, we'll shoot you to space. Said Williams, done and done. Here is Austin Powers to the spy who shagged me. While on his honeymoon, the spy discovers his wife has been a robot planted by the villain all along. The villain time travels with a tiny version of himself to 1969, when the spy was still frozen, and has a morbidly obese Scottish man steal his mojo. The spy time travels to get his mojo back and teams up with a female CIA agent to stop the villain from using a laser on the moon to blow up major cities. The spy is able to save the world and realizes he's had the mojo in him all along. Back in the day, people were really amazed by the moon. Let's do yes. this with the moon. Something, the plot of many It's movies. all about Mars these days. Yeah, people it's don't Mars. give a shit about the Sexier. moon anymore. Sexier, sexier. Right, you were saying. Here is Austin Powers 3, Gold Member. While the villain is hatching a new plan, the spy shows up and arrests the villain. Not long after, the spy's father, who is also a spy, has been kidnapped by a gold-obsessed Dutchman. To save his father, the spy time travels to 1975 where he teams up with a female FBI agent. They chase the Dutchman to the present and discover the villain has escaped from prison. The spy is able to save his father and stop the Dutchman. It is then revealed by the father that the spy and the villain are actually brothers separated when they were babies. They reconcile their differences and go to a premiere of a movie based on their adventures. <laughs> oh, it's all very meaningless. It yes. really is yes. spelled out almost directly to the audience as part of the function of the joke these absurd plots that don't mean when you're reading the the third plot like that it feels like you're having a fever dream like you're like and then the dutchman he likes gold and she's like gold there's a fat scottish guy i like gold (laughs) as far as overview of the uh film like i said it entered the lexicon for a while a lot of people were using these expressions in pop culture you hear celebrities using them you could count on your friends trying to work them in. You'd have the late night hosts um, would use them as part of their di- their you know their monologues. Right. Know, they're very much a part of the the humorous sort of uh, you know playground dialect that kids and young adults used at the time. Yeah, no, it was definitely in you know the zeitgeist, if you will. All right, look, there's not um, enough Z words though, you know. I think at the end of the day. Dr. Evil is a funnier character than Austin Powers. Yeah. Okay. And that starts in the first movie. And I'm ready to rock right into the first movie of you. Let's go. All right. Now, I want to just drop on you a couple of things. Okay. It's important for me, as the historian, if you will, for this episode, I think, Mm. to 
really bring up as many of the sort of pop cultural crossovers that we saw in these films. A lot of yes. the celebrities that we saw and a lot of the comedic bits that were made popular in these films, if not absolutely originated in these films. Right. Again, that didn't have anything to do with the plot, but kind of just existed and were funny. Yeah, just good comedic bits. Um, so right off the bat, Dr. Evil is a Lorne Michaels impression, right? Right. He's the, the creator of Saturday Night Live, and when you hear Lorne Michaels speak, and I, honestly, when I, these movies first came out, I hadn't heard him speak so often. This is right around the time of yeah. the internet. It's not like you'd hear him talk all that much or remember what he sounded like. No. But in going back now and hearing old stuff with him talking and him talking more on interviews and things you hear, it's, a, it's exactly the way. Yeah. And I've had a, heard a lot of words associated with you. I'm going to throw a couple of them at you. Sure. Give me a yes or no on right. them, okay? Creative? I've heard those. Yeah, yeah. Creative, yeah. Yeah, sure. Powerful? Yeah, inevitably now, yes. Yeah. Controlling? Uh, controlling, you know, sort of has a negative uh, context. I'd say in charge. And then he's not the only uh, cast member who was inspired. Uh, Mark McKinney also originated his character for Brain Candy, the Kids in the Hall movie. Which was a, a produced by Lorne. Was right? produced by Lorne, yeah, mm -hmm. because he, Lorne is Canadian, and he found Kids in the Hall and then brought Mark McKinney onto the show, and so he's like a lifelong friend of his, basically. Right. But, yeah, his the villain character in that movie that he plays is also uh, a take on Lorne. Doing a Lorne voice. Yeah. Can I have the room, please? Is that like, a Canadian voice? Is it distinctly Canadian, would you say? I don't know. Maybe. But maybe um, he's like an upper-class Canadian. Who knows? You know? This movie starts with Charles Napier as a general talking to Clint Howard. Two interesting characters in the world of Hollywood and worth mentioning. They're in all three movies, I believe. They, all make, they both kind of yep. make an appearance in all three movies. Charles Napier is a favorite of um, uh, Jonathan Demme, who just died. Right, Silence yeah. of the Lambs director, and I believe he appeared He's, in every uh, single one of his films. Officer Pembry yep. in very grim part of that movie. Great part of that movie, though. His escape and always everything. plays a cop. Charles Napier, sort of a redneck. Got a very kind of a authoritative cop. look. He's also in. Uh, is I believe it's the Blues Brothers. Yeah, that's right. right. The mm -hmm. and they look funny eating that corn with no fucking teeth. And Clint Howard, of course, one of the ugliest men and actors of all time. And it's surprising and to see appeal. him in this movie. It's always funny to see Clint Howard in movies that are not like really related to Ron Howard. Which yeah, because like, usually he's he's in like every Ron Howard. You movie You assume in a small that's part. why a guy like him would be in any movie because of Ron Howard. Right. When he gets in something else, you're like, oh, somebody owed Ron. But Howard he's got a favor. that. But he also has that particular <laughs> look too, yeah. where you're like, you're like, yeah, you're kind of a goofy looking guy. So it's like if you took you play um, funny dum dums parts. It's like if you took um, Curtis Armstrong, the booger character yeah. from Avenger the Nerds and made him even worse and more vile, he'd be Clint Howard. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. In the uh, first Austin Powers, we also have a spoof of Demolition Man when, when he's unfrozen. I mentioned that before. Right. He's sort of coming up through the floor in that curled yeah, body yeah, yeah, position. Yeah. Of course, Stallone was rippling with muscle. Sure. And, <laughs> the, and the warm liquid goo phase. Exactly. Yes. Mike Miles, Myers not rippling with mu muscle. At no. All. No. Not muscular. Covered in hair. And that's another kind of gag. With yeah. the teeth, that he's just kind of gross. Why do girls like this? Yeah, and was there a time when did girls like hair? I men? think that's that must be the thing. Is that in the if, that's what they say too? Is like it was the sixties. You could be a sex symbol, and it doesn't matter if your teeth are all screwed up. And you know, you might be right because wasn't Sean Connery hairy, hairy chested, very hairy, very okay. hairy, and wasn't Burt Reynolds hairy chested? That's true. So that was a hot girl thing. Girls liked that back in the day. Yeah, and so I think that's kind of 
playing upon the, that that idea. Dude. It's kind of spoofing that right. That, the, that idea. Yeah, showing the differences. That's <laughs> I mean the whole the reason the movie is so funny is because it does that so well, where it clearly illustrates the difference between the '60s and the '90s in one quick funny scene. Oh, and in like, that scene, by the way, Frozen is uh, Gary Coleman. Also, you've got Vanilla Ice, who now is a remodeler of homes. Yeah. And has made a name for himself doing that. Who would have thought in 1997? <laughs> who would have thought Vanilla Ice would be the one who's alive? Who are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> like, All right, we're talking way too much about this. No, fuck movie. Vanilla Ice. Um, here are some of the things. I'm going to just throw them at you. You tell me whether they're good or not good. All right. Okay? That were kind of just comedic bits that came about Rattle in this off. movie. All right? Okay. The whole running gag with the penis pump. Well, he's got a penis pump. We uh, we used to just recreate that constantly when we were kids. Really? Yeah, yeah, we're fucking hilarious. And he killed so someone with the penis pump. He pumped someone to death later in the movie. With yeah, it. that right. was a little ridiculous, but yeah. I get a sense that the penis pump was something that was more common in the 60s and 70s. It was more of a common sort of sex thing. I guess. I don't know. Let's say you guess. You, you know. I, you know. I, I, I wasn't in All right, 60s. I'm moving forward. Okay, great. I love the part with Will Farrell. And he sort of does that same gag where he's not immediately dead in the flaming death chair the way yeah. the others are, yeah. which is what would really happen to some people, right? All right, you know what? I'm gonna we should I'm gonna do a, we should play some of this because it's super funny and I won't do it justice by repeating it. So here's some of it, gentlemen. Let's get down to business. Oh. Oh. Ah. We've got a lot of work to do. Some of you I know, some of you I'm meeting for the first time. Uh-huh. Hello, sir. Anyone? Can someone call an ambulance? I get quite a lot of pain. Okay. You've all been gathered here to form oh. my evil cabinet. Excuse me. <laughs> right? That's totally great, right? Yeah. yeah. And he does it again in the second one, too. What's also Dang, funny about it is his accent. He plays a character named, what is it? Hassan. Mustafa. Mustafa. He's clearly not an Arab in any way. And the accent is that sort of halting speak we think that foreign people use sometimes it could be any foreign person right could be any eastern european what's funny is i think there actually is a character in the james bond universe named mustafa oh really yeah i think they just straight up lifted that name with the uh in the first um austin powers there's odd job isn't that his name Odd, Odd job is the actual guy from Bond, but in this he's random task. Right, so there you have it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's directly. Right, you know. exactly. Um, what else do we have? We have, I think the bit with the Lucky Charms is super funny. <laughs> Patty O'Brien, ex-Irish assassin. His trademark, a superstitious man. He leaves a tiny keepsake from his good luck bracelet on every victim he kills. Scotland Yard would love to get their hands on that piece of evidence. They're always after me, Lucky Charms. And now the running gag that um, Dr. Evil is just unaware of world events and doesn't have a concept of how money is changed around him. Pretty yeah. funny. Really funny in the first one. Right. right? Yeah. It kind of gets a little old, I think, in the other two. And it doesn't I think make any sense in the other ones. A lot of these get old in the other ones. They're, yeah. they're kind of funny, but like so many of the trilogies that we've covered, Scott... When you miss out on the originality of the first film, you right. miss so much. Right. And with comedy, boy, so much of comedy comes from just the surprise, the, the fact that it's completely right. unexpected. You know, right. and when you lose that, it becomes nodding recognition instead of a belly laugh. Right. And that's your difference between one and three, because in my opinion, two is just garbage. Well, by the end of the three trilogy, is, I mean, you know, they're they're really starting to just parody themselves. Good point. By the end. Good point. 
The blackjack scene is pretty funny. This may or not be anything, but I feel that certain crucial members of Seinfeld are of the Seinfeld universe yeah. are in the are in the first Austin Powers film. So the dealer of that scene is the soup, soup Nazi. Yeah. Soup Nazi. Um, so that's Seinfeld number A one. A softer side to the soup Nazi. Another thing that I thought was super funny in it, blink and you might have missed it, and I didn't even remember this until I rewatched the first one. Yeah. But when they show Dr. Evil talking to the UN, the members of the UN are very broad <laughs> sort of stereotypes of different cultures. So there's like uh, a beef eater from England and a sumo wrestler and yeah. a bullfighter and a Mountie from As Canada. As if these are all like their royal guards. Ex- like, exactly. Like, and they're just you're kind telling of me the prime over- minister of Japan... <laughs> has two sumo wrestlers as bodyguards just in case anything goes down and instead of a guy with a gun they're like making conversation they're like oh and they're all up in arms together oh what's going on in their own and that, that you know what that looks like they shot that in nowhere like there's no it doesn't look like a room too because it's just like this endless black room you're right it's an in. endless void it's the same void yeah. that was in superman 2 where the, the the glass went before. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The judge room, the judgment room. Yeah, there that's where the UN secret offices. <laughs> guilty, 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 <laughs> guilty. Um, Seinfeld crossover number two. Head of the UN, the UN, Babu. Oh my, yeah, Babu. that's right. Yeah, Babu. Right. Um, so that's super funny, and it's going down the list. These are super funny things that make this first movie great. Um, you know, Mike Myers with the constant urine jokes in every movie. It's a thing yeah. of urine. But funny in the first one, okay? Yeah. Um, oh, Bert- but that's a great long pee scene. That's one of the best film pee scenes you've ever seen. Right at the beginning where he comes, the it evacuation complete. Remember, right, it keeps keep yep. pe- keeps going and keeps being hilarious. Really Classic. funny. The only other one I can ever think of is Tom Hanks in uh, League of Their Own. Another fantastic long great scene. Great long PC. Can you even think of it? Uh, That's another I'm one. I'm trying to think of another one. But. The other day, we, yeah, we were saying that to each other the other day. We like those two scenes. They're great long P scenes and then it's like, well, what's, right. a, what's a bad long P scene? Yeah. But I guess the fact oh. that you only remember two means that there was only two and they did them really well. Like, if you remembered a whole, I don't remember a horrible P scene. You know what I mean? <laughs> not from a, not from a movie that was in the theater. <laughs> Burt Baccarat. Yes. Speaking of P. Um, <laughs> Let's move on. To I don't know anything about him. He, the songwriter for many years. Well, he wrote a lot of big hits. And then I think he kind of got popularity because he started doing his own big hits. He looks like a kind of a frail ghoul. Oh, he was extremely old in these he looks movies. looks like a, a kind of ghoul. He's still alive. I don't know. I don't know. Look that up as I move on to the next one. You've got the funny therapy session between... Um, Scott and Dr. Oh, Evil, yeah. led by Carrie Fisher, Carrie which I Fisher. think alludes to what her the, the crazy... Uh, the late Carrie Fisher. Yeah. The late Carrie Fisher, right, yeah. Way to, way to bring it. Great, it's a way great to, Way to go the there movie, with it, though. Scott. The late Carrie Fisher. I hadn't even well, thought Well, I felt like that. it needs to be, you yeah. know, acknowledged. I mean, we're all but moving it was, on. it was kind of a goof of her having a wacky, like, family life, right? Didn't yeah, she, didn't she I guess. Polar, or wasn't there some issue with her, and that's why they had her doing a therapist bit in this movie? I'm not entirely that? sure like what her family history really was, but well, her mother is well, Debbie Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds, yeah. Father's Eddie Fisher, yeah. So, I mean, I know we know that, that much. but I don't know. Yeah. Okay, Scott. Uh, forget I said anything. Okay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. All right. Um, and the final Seinfeld moment is the tour guide um, in Doctor Evil's lair. 
Or I believe is that is that where the tour guide is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is that, the wigmaster yeah. in the Dreamcoat Technicolor Dreamcoat episode That's right. of Seinfeld where Kramer is mistaken for a pimp? Right. Yeah. Yeah. A couple more little funny bits from the first one, and then I'll let you do your things. Um, I don't have much. Laser beam sharks. The sharks the, with freaking laser beams attached to their freaking heads. The shiz, the shh. Shh. Let me tell you a little story about a man named Shh. What did you have, Scott? Uh, I didn't have much, but I did want to give a, a shout-out to my favorite part of the movie, which uh, happens in that uh, therapy scene with, uh, uh, I wanted to say Carrie Princess Fisher. Leia. Uh, Carrie, Carrie Fisher is, <laughs> is leading the group with yeah. Scott and Dr. Evil. And then, you know, when she tells him to talk about himself, that monologue oh, he gives great. about his past is fucking hilarious. It's like it's it's something that I even saw like when we were on the rewatch. I was like, should I be using this for like auditions and stuff? Because it's I've, a great monologue. I've given it to students, to like kids, to do yeah. as their monologue, and I've I've used it before myself, and it's really funny. Yeah, and it's really just kind of. And you don't even need to do the Doctor Evil voice. It's just such an odd monologue that you could just play into it's it. It's strange. Like, you can play the different angles on it. Yeah, I like it too. Yeah, good part. My father would womanize. He would drink. He would make outrageous claims like he invented the question mark. Sometimes he would accuse chestnuts of being lazy. And ultimately, this movie is great. Okay, the first Austin Powers is a great film. Like I said before, probably the last great um, spoof. You know, they made they've made a bunch since then. The Wayans brothers have tried it with those scary movies. The scary and, movie, yeah. Uh, epic movie, and they even did a sports one. They've oh, all yeah. Been there was a, a string of those terrible movies. Terrible. And it gives fucking spoof movies and parody movies a bad name. Like, because spoof movies used to be the funniest fucking movies. You know, because what they've done is they've taken out the the wittiness, the cleverness of these films and just right. made them the most base, fart-jokey movies ever. Yeah. And, you know, for every one laugh you're going to get out of Fat Bastard farting, Mike Myers also realized you're going to get five jokes out of being a little bit heady, coming right. up with something clever, coming right. up with a, a, a comedic idea that's, Got a little meat yeah. on its bones. Well, know? even those, you know, those uh, food blocking genitalia scenes that keep happening in the movies, like that's very well constructed comedy. No it, question. It, it, you know, it might not be your taste, or maybe like sometimes it didn't like because they do it so much that right. sometimes it doesn't hit, doesn't just just doesn't work. But that's an old time way right. of doing things. That's not so that's different not, than. Uh, Three's Company. People gave the show Three's Company such a hard time because they're like, oh, this is all just sexual innuendo and people mishearing other people's conversations. And it was like, yeah, it's based on a very specific sort of French farce and that's always the joke. Misunderstanding, misinformation. Right. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. Right. All right. I think that Mike Myers made these films appealing enough that everyone for a time and for this time liked them. Right. You know? Um, but I think ultimately the best parts of these movies are those little comedic bits. When we get too much into the direct parody of Bond and into the catchphrases, um, and into the plot, you lose me. Forget the plot. That's just something, again, to hang all these funny bits on. Yeah. Talk to me about the second movie, Scott. So the second movie, uh, I, I, I think the real problem with this movie is, one, it's trying to do the same movie again, which mm-hmm. is a typical thing we see in trilogies and with sequels in general that they're just trying to recapture the creative the creativity and the 
inventiveness from the first one and do it again and that's never going to work out because right. you can't do it a second time you can't. that and the fact that they incorporate this time travel business oh. which stays through to the next movie as well and they use it then what's this our third movie involving time travel uh, for us for us well we did yeah back to the future back trilogy the future. men in black the third men in black and now right. and this one and now, this one, you're right. To be fair, they don't take Not it seriously planned. in any way. They basically look directly at the camera and say, yeah, there are going to be discrepancies with this. Just sit back and enjoy the movie. Right. But we don't fuck around here at the Trilogy Podcast. If you're going to bring some plot element into our world, you better make it happen. You I think it's lazy it to do that. And you see that in a lot of time travel movies. It's mm-hmm. just like lazy on the writing end. This one gets sort of a pass because, of course, it's a comedy and a spoof and it doesn't really matter. It's just about putting them in the situations right. where something funny can happen. But, you know, there's movie like even uh, that there was that time travel movie Looper. Yeah. And Jeff Daniels has a bit where he's like, oh, this time travel stuff. You try to figure out this and that and it'll make you go crazy. And I'm like, you're literally telling you're doing the same thing. Just like Austin Powers did yeah. literally looking at us and going, don't think about it too much. Enjoy the movie. Yeah, you the know problem I mean? is in Austin Powers, they can afford to do that because the movie isn't about time travel. Right. Looper is about time travel. Right. So it's a screenwriter basically <laughs> saying, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. Because you know? I mean, not to get into that movie, but they show multiple. They don't pick one version of what time travel is. It's like it happens immediately. If somebody gets the guy gets his toe cut off in the past, he doesn't have a toe in the future. Um, all right. Second movie, I want to say that, yeah, they redid a lot of stuff that succeeded in the first movie, and I could just list them all off, but all the stuff I just said to you that were, was funny in the first movie, yeah. they basically redid it in the second movie. And it, it had its moments. Yeah. Again, um, Will Farrell getting injured as that Mustafa character <laughs> was yeah. still funny in the second movie. This time it was what, the, yeah. was it the car accident or whatever? Yeah, but then, yeah, he falls off the cliff. Yeah. He falls off the cliff, and it's that same That's, sort of injury yeah. thing. Right. Um, which I really just am a sucker for. I just think and, he's really well, funny. The one real saving grace, I think, in this movie is that you get Mini-Me. Yeah. And I think Mini-Me is just fucking hilarious. Like, always works. No. Very funny. Their relationship together is very funny. It's, and that, that's, It makes Dr. Evil funnier, frankly. It's the, the only thing that in any way redeems the second movie. I still think the second movie is poor. Poor film. Yeah. But I, yeah. if I had to say there's any redeeming qualities about it, it's going to be what? The original things. Not the things right. they brought back from the first movie. It's going to be Mini-Me. Right. It might be if it's your taste, Fat Bastard. I don't like Fat Bastard, but at least they're trying to bring something original to the table. The biggest problem is Heather Graham destroying every scene she was in. Yeah. I mean... Scott, justify her existence on this planet, please. My, go. my only thing I could say is, you know, these are spoofs of the spy movies and Bond, and none of those Bond girls are good actresses. You know what I mean? It's always supposed to be some piece of eye candy. When put in the position where she's got to play the comedic female lead in a movie she fails yeah she fails in this movie and it, for me drags down every scene she's in she certainly doesn't bring any more comedy to the movie but she, then, and she doesn't uh, magnify his comedy she right at the very least she should be punching up what he's doing the way right. the way hurley did right she's not doing that okay she's not doing that what else you got for me on the second movie when he drinks his shit when he drinks the shit where he's like this coffee tastes like shit. And then you know, like, he drinks it. I hate that. Terrible. The joke is that's for him when you lose me. Just miss drinking, drinking it shit. every time. If he winds up drinking it, it kills the whole gag, I think. Uh, yeah. The whole gag should be that he's about to drink it every time and he stops suddenly. Right. That happens twice and then you're like, he drinks it. Yeah. Oh. Why did he drink the shit? Yeah. Yeah. 
Like, I get the joke. The, oh, this this coffee tastes like shit. This coffee smells like shit. Like, it is shit. Like, oh, okay, it's just not me. So for you, the gross-out humor still doesn't work as much. You, you do or you don't like the gross-out You don't like I the gross-out like humor in that drinking. case, but what about, you You like the fat bastard's gross-out humor. Yeah, I don't like, like, when he's got, when, I think it's the third one, but he's got the big sumo diaper. Yeah. And they throw him, and he's in there with all that. That's not funny to me. That's not funny. You like poop stains on his, his yeah. shit. No, I, don't, I don't like that. Yeah, I also want to say when they have the the fat bastard left a floater like that yeah, she had again, to put the thing up his ass and stuff. Too much. I, I don't get it's, it. it's too much with this fat guy's ass. I just I don't think it works. I think that Mini Me does kind of work in the second movie and is one of the highlights for the poor second movie. Yeah, but I think Fat Bastard just doesn't. It's not my taste. Yeah, I also want to say that I he's got his moments because it's Mike Myers. At the end of the day, he he <laughs> makes me laugh kinda. every other time. So he's just doing like a dirty Shrek. It's Shrek's voice, dirty Shrek. <laughs> yeah. And these movies begin the whole trend for Mike Myers, where he only does voices, does movies when he's doing an accent. Think but about he did, uh, it. After this movie, after all these movies, he's doing an accent through all these movies. He does all of the Shrek movies with an accent. But he always did a Scottish accent, even yeah, on still, SNL. I'm telling you that the appearance in the movie is him doing an accent. Of his huge movies, there have been two Wayne's Worlds, three Austin Powers, and four Shreks, right? Yes. yes. So we're talking. Seven full movies where he's done an accent of his seven, eight, nine biggest films. Yeah. Add in the fact that in *Inglorious Bastards* he does a German accent, and now, and the, one of the reasons we've decided to do *Austin Powers* is that over the last summer he just did a remake of what *The Gong Show*? Was it? Yeah. Where yeah. he was and the he's host, playing a British character who's the host of *The Gong Show*. It's right. Weird. Another accent. So, well, in essence, *The Gong Show* is a talent show. We seek people who have talents for which there is no other home, the last refuge of the eccentric. It celebrates unique talent and the bizarre, those that are touched with ambition and those that are just touched. Um, we didn't mention it when we were talking about the first one, but there are constant, because it has to do with this 60s spy genre, I guess, these uh, musical interludes that kind of break up. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you've obviously you've heard us use them a couple throughout this show, yeah. But it's worth mentioning that in the second movie, boy, they really pile on the musical numbers and they're yeah, it's too, much. too much. It's too much. It's one sure. after another. You got, he's dancing and then two seconds later, he's doing another musical number with her and then he's driving and suddenly a Madonna song, Beautiful Stranger comes on. It's a modern song. song. Yeah. What, where's all this music coming from? Uh, Tim Robbins makes a great cameo in this movie. Yes, he does. And you brought about one of the few funny things that was new um, in this movie. The whole idea of look up in the sky and you see the very phallic Dr. Evil thing flying across the sky and each person substitutes the next word. Keeps cutting each other off. They keep cutting each other off, but in their context, that word is not vulgar. It makes sense. Right. And usually the person that says it is a celebrity or sort of a... Woody. Woody Harrelson? um, uh, Fred Willard. Tim Robbins. Willie, Willie Nelson. Exactly. Um, a lot of pop cultural people here. You know what else is new in this movie, too? That was pretty funny. The whole shadow thing, where they're doing something innocuous, but the shadow makes it look like they're doing something vulgar. Yeah, where she's pulling the like, yeah. things out of his ass. And Again, stuff a good invention, something original. We needed more of that instead of a rehash of the stuff that had worked it, in the first movie. It lost me a little bit with that bit just because, like, you know, the smoke grenade goes off and he's like, oh, sorry about the smell. And I'm like, it's a smoke grenade. Why would you be worried about the smell? And now, it's, now you're clearly talking about him farting. Right. Like, That's true. It comes away from 
right. double meaning. Yeah, it's just thing. like it kind of falls apart for me. But just I'm the like, general oh, ideas. But Scott, you know, the general idea is dumb. The Mojo thing is dumb. The fact that she'd fall in love with him is dumb. Their love affair is just not believable. No. You know? And whereas in the first movie, I could almost tolerate the idea that it felt like the entire movie was shot on a soundstage. In the second one, it's just glaring. Yeah. And I just felt like this was slapped together to make a buck. And you get as many big names yeah. in it as possible. It didn't feel like the writing was there in the same as way. As most sequels movie. are, but yeah. yeah, it's really, it's palpable. Okay, well, the <laughs> question is, it's palpable, did you say? It's palpable. You know what, listen, I'm not going to lie. I think the beginning with Tom Cruise and the big celebrities. Hilarious. I think it's funny. Fucking Danny DeVito as Mini-Me. Oh, yeah, Danny DeVito. Like, assholes. <laughs> like, yeah, it's fucking great. It's really funny. I enjoyed that. That works for me. That it made even, sense. Honestly, when they're doing the big opening number, which they, you know, they did in every other movie, so of course you got to do it in the third movie. They have that moment that's kind of funny that I was, I was re-watching today because I kind of forgot about it. But there's the part where it's almost like a ballet. And, oh, yeah. and it's like a slow ballet version of the doo 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 And he's like dancing. I'm like, that's kind of a funny joke as a departure. If you didn't have all this other shit piled on top of it, to do that quickly for a yeah. second is funny, but then get away from it. And Well, I think that what happens is that cool beginning with um, Tom Cruise and those guys and those celebrities becomes less and less cool as you tack on more needless celebrities in that beginning right. thing. Right. What it does is it just becomes sort of a blur of famous faces instead of, oh, what a sharp, cool beginning that... You know, they yes. make us think one thing, it's it the other thing. It's the thing that was very funny already. It was very funny. So even when it comes back, it's funny again at the end when it comes back. And, like, you know, they show Travolta, Travolta. as gold member. You're like, oh, surprising. That was funny. You brought the funny thing back. But then you got to remember all the bullshit at the beginning where you're like, why was she? Why is Britney Spears there? Why is it? Because they're know? just pouring it on. And the third one, it's, it's Mini-Me. And he's, it's Dr. Evil. And it's. It's gold member. It's celebrities. It's Michael Caine. It's the mole. It's too many things happening. Yeah. And even a, co- a comedy can't survive even with that. Yeah. You know, we're going to eventually get to it, which is sad. We're going to have to eventually get to it. But when we get to Meet the Parents, it's that's the complete failing of the third Meet the Parents film that they've crammed so much stuff that otherwise would be cool on its own or in little bite-sized portions into one giant meal. We can't digest it. And... Both trilogies directed by Jay Roach. Coincidence? I think you know that that's probably a, a failing that he has as a director, money, right? When when the comedy keeps getting bigger and bigger, there's a breaking point where it's like it's not funny anymore, and it's not it's too self referential. Right we want to go money. back to the fictional world you created in the first one, not our world. You're bringing our world into your world. It's weird. If I could, I'd stand up and chest bump you right now. <laughs> um, no, you're exactly right. But I, my legs are broken. Fucking exactly <laughs> right. That was exactly right. Um, oh, quick little, uh, in the third movie, I, again, I want to bring in as many little pop cultural things that they tried to add. Yeah. They um, have Quincy Jones in that intro as well. Yes. Okay, weirdly looking directly at the camera. And Ladies and gentlemen, Quincy Jones. Conducting what, a symphony. What's happening here, you say yeah. to yourself? Um so we gotta we gotta mention those guys and Spielberg, of course, because just when you thought he didn't have the biggest music and tele and movie stars, you've got to get the biggest director on earth in your yeah. cameo scene as well. I Again. do like the cuts to uh, Spielberg doing like a cartwheel, and it's very clearly a stunt it's, guy it's wearing so like the hat yeah, and the right. beard. But like, it's just it's still funny. Spielberg, you couldn't learn how to do a cartwheel for this movie, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Okay. He probably, I bet the studio was like, you're going to do it, Spielberg, because we fucking own you. <laughs> Whatever, I'll show up. I don't really want to. This sucks. Um, he does a uh, Wayne's World thing where uh, 
he says, she's okay. He's okay. <laughs> she's okay. That's directly from um, Wayne's World when Laura uh, Flynn Boyle. Laura Flynn Boyle. Laura Flynn Boyle, our, our favorite... Uh, our favorite men in black villain <laughs> Yikes. who also played Wayne's girlfriend in the yeah. first Wayne world movie flipped over the car. She's okay. <laughs> okay. It's one of the funniest parts in the movie of yeah. Wayne's world. Um, but I like that he calls it back uh, in this film. I appreciate it. Uh, what else you got for me? I, I just feel like as an overall thing for the sequels, if, if time travel had been introduced in the first movie, mm-hmm. if that oh, you're was back the to the time thing, travel again. Yeah, but Jesus, it, it, it wouldn't be as weird of a device to throw in the second and third movie if it had been established in the first movie. I agree there. Like, if he had time traveled to the 90s, mm-hmm. then if you used it again and again, no problem. Right. And also, another thing I noticed in the third movie, whereas the second movie came off the spy thing for a second to sort of spoof sci-fi a little bit, yeah. this movie came off of the spy genre to spoof thrillers a little bit with its silence of the lambs thing with uh, dr evil being in jail that right thing. which uh, like 10 the idea of using years too late though, the idea of like, like you, i know it, like, even then was that really that fresh of a reference you know, it had r- roughly the relevance of what s- more uh, a dozen years had roughly had roughly the uh the relevance of uh space balls when it came out coming yeah. out 10 years after the you know Star Wars. Right, yeah. Everyone's like, okay, you're a little late on the... Yeah, what, what were you waiting for? <laughs> hey, guess what, Scott? I'm going to write a song against the Vietnam War next week. Are you ready to record that with me? <laughs> like, damn. It's really funny and poignant, you know. <laughs> also, Scott, do you happen to notice, I didn't mention it, it started in, really in the second movie. Um, what's with this constant product placement in these films? Oh, my I God, mean, yeah. Listen, it was one... And they th- make it obvious, too. Well, the second one does a commercial for Heineken. Mmm, that feels great, baby. Ow. <laughs> Why did you stop? I was just admiring your Heiney. Ew, behave. <laughs> um, Mike Myers started the idea, because in Wayne's World, the whole thing about commercialism and that... Oh, yeah. New they do. Little, yellow. Super yeah. funny. My favorite part of the movie. So I think he's very intimately aware of... But that movie, that, that part of the movie, too, is kind of out of nowhere. Uh-huh. Exactly. And, like, it feels like he just went, all right, if they're going to give us all this money and they want other products, I'm going to make it very obvious. Exactly. And be like, I'm selling out. I'm getting money for my movie. Like, I think that the, the Saturday Night Live guys, you're, you're Mike Myers and for sure you're Adam Sandler, like, using Subway and Happy Gilmore, <laughs> yeah, yeah. started the world of this product right. placement. This Right. I never, I never thought how meta that is in Happy Gilmore. Oh, that, like, that it's the worst example of product placement in any film yeah. ever. It really is. <laughs> but again, these are both SNL guys doing silly comedy movies. Right. And so in the 90s. And so it tells you they're not just doing product placement like cute Reese's Pieces in E.T. They're doing yeah. unabashed product placement. And they don't give a shit. And you know what? In watching either of those two movies, I didn't really give a shit. But it becomes pretty obvious um, once you get to the third movie here when you're still seeing commercials. Right. Okay? A couple more things before we wrap up because I know we're kind of coming to the end here. We don't want to beat Yeah. We don't want to beat this to the death. I think that's all I got. So go I have it. a couple more things because I got to just make sure that we know just or we know that, we, that the audience knows just how inside um, Hollywood these movies were by the time we got to the third one. Yeah. How many celebrities were just jam packing this every um musical number every every scene we have nathan lane weirdly lip syncing strange the voice of beyonce here yeah that i thought that was such a waste of nathan lane isn't he famous for his voice yeah i felt like i only got half the performance and really beyonce did nothing in this movie either she just wasn't as bad as um as as heather she Brown. was more of a character yeah, I well feel like. i guess but what they, what other than 
cliched 70s sort of, you know, black exploitation expressions, what else do they have her saying? Nothing. Right. Nothing. Yeah. Uh, the fact of the matter is she's just vaguely more appealing than Heather Graham, who was vapid. So right. she, you know, that's, you're talking about a four versus a three. Sure. You know. Yeah. But listen, it's not like um, Hurley's character was written beautifully, but she made something of it. It fit. It made sense. So right. I'm not going to blame the writers. These these are broadly written things that these characters or these actors have to make their own. They yeah. do. So you're right. Um, it's also worth mentioning Zeus Tiny Lister making an appearance as yeah. the main gangster in jail. Who doesn't love Zeus Tiny Lister, who we'll talk about in another trilogy down the road, Friday. Well, also, he also, uh, if I'm not mistaken, appears in the Dark Knight trilogy. Does he? In one of them. He's not in all. Oh, no. Fair enough. Good. Good connection. We have um, a big cameo by the Osbournes, which now feels really dated. The whole oh, Osborne yeah. family sitting he, there. He sings. Oh, that might be the second one. But he, when he sings, what if God were one of us? I'm like, that really dates these movies. Another hard. really dated yeah. reference. God was one of us. That was dated when it came out. Yeah. That movie, that was a song from when I was in college in the mid 90s. Yeah. So by two, by 1999, that's a kind of a dated song. It's three years old. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it wasn't, you know, it was a big song, popular, but not a gigantic it wasn't that popular. Yeah. Like no one's talking about Joan Osborne right now. No, <laughs> no. I'm a little embarrassed that I remember her name. I, I you might you, you might should be. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that that's a that Osborne's thing where where the time must have been a huge belly laugh now feels like. Ugh. Yeah, it's like now we kind of resent them because of the horrible reality they brought to the world. Back then, yeah. it's like, ha the Osborne's reality is funny when. We tend yeah. to see their real life. Now we're like, what did you do? Like you made celebrities out of these people. So, uh, you know, of course, we do this every time. And what? to close it out, we you get a little report from Phil. Oh, Phil, West Coast correspondent. But, you know... I, I was talking to him and he was a, a little a little pissed off about the last time. I mean, he's gone through a lot. So what I had him do is I had him go out and get himself some Austin Powers clothing oh. to dress himself up as Austin Powers. He loves to dress wig. up. He loves to dress up in yes, costumes. Yes, he does. And he's, he and he's good he's at it, too. He's cute that way. So, you know, uh, get him those crazy teeth and mm-hmm. everything. He's going to do the whole the whole schmear. Perfect. And then he's going to go out and we're gonna he's going to go in front of the Chinese theater. Right. Man's, Man's Chinese Theater Great. in L.A., where all the characters go. He's going to go out there. He's going to greet some tourists and say hello. Take and some pictures. That kind yeah, of it'll be a fun, I'm sure it's a fun little all report. Right. We'll hear. So. I haven't listened to it yet. You know, we always like to be surprised here. Um, So, you know, uh, I think, you know. I'm this excited. Week, Finally, he gets a little R&R. Let's hear what he did. Here, take a listen. Hey, everybody. This is good old Phil Casale, your West Coast correspondent for the Trilogy Podcast. Um, I apologize if this took me a little while to get to. I've had to relearn how to use my hands a little easier this time. We're going to be covering Austin Powers, and i got to say, big fan of Austin Powers. He made it cool to have chest hair at a time when I had too much of it. I'm in the restroom right now. Uh, I'm going to be standing dressed as Austin Powers, uh, signing autographs right outside the Chinese theater. So hold on, get my cheap time. All right, yeah, baby. Yeah, let's do this. Do I make you horny, baby? Is that close? Uh, you'll let me know. Yeah, baby, who wants autographs? It's me, Austin Powers. Yeah, baby. Do I make you horny? Do you want an autograph? 
Abby, $7. Mind the partitions. The stars are the partitions. That's my spot. Oh, behave. Where the star begins and where the star ends is where I stand, not you, Michael Myers. Well, all right. Don't get cheeky. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you need a permit, Chewbacca? I can't stand there. That's my spot. Back off, Spider-Man. This is the first issue, Austin Powers. I've had this for about 20 years now. You don't look like Spider-Man. It looks like your outfit is sun-bleached. The blues are purple and the reds are pink. Hey, don't disrespect Spider-Man. You're a shitty Spider-Man. Let's get him. Yeah, let's get him. Hey, ow! happening i mean i tried man like I, I apologies to phil i mean i tried really hard this time I don't feel around bad. i feel you know what he should if this is going to happen to him no matter where he goes he's like a week. magnet for this kind of thing wow. I, I mean you know who 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 could have possibly guessed that that was gonna you know like how was i supposed to know that i could i tried to give him something easy i really did i could have guessed shit all right well oh, look. well um, I think we have beaten this uh, trilogy to death, uh, the uh, Austin Powers trilogy. At the end, for me, Scott, I consider it an unsuccessful trilogy. I think that it was a fantastic first movie, um, and that the trilogies both were not good. The second one especially not good. The third one, a little bit better. Ultimately, it winds up being a 1-3-2, but not a strong 3, by any means. It's a, yeah. a strong, strong 1-3-2. Unsuccessful yeah. trilogy for me. You know what? I'm just going to say ditto on that one because I totally agree. All right, look, this has been the Austin Powers trilogy. Um, yeah, baby. We've been yeah, shagadelic. Um, remember baby. to uh, email us. What was our email address, Scott? Feedback at trilogypodcast.com. If you have anything, email us in there. Have you even been checking the email, Scott? Oh, I thought you were checking the email. Let's just wish the audience a wonderful day. Okay. Have a great day. Folks. Have a great day, assholes. Wow. <laughs> I don't know why. I said that.